Welcome to SciFarth.2 L&E Nation podcast. Today's episode features a discussion about when employers walk the fine balance between a rock and a hard place, addressing business needs under the pressure of a talent shortage versus the needs of management to impose employee discipline, including termination of employment. Enjoy. We're talking today about the struggle that a lot of employers are facing these days, the proverbial rock in a hard place of handling employee discipline while at the same time trying to run a business during a talent shortage. My name is Rob Sib. I'm a partner at SciFarth, and I focus on advising employers on compliance with various federal, state, and local requirements for hiring, employee relations, and terminations of employment. I also defend employers in a variety of employment-related lawsuits. We're here with Renata Williams, Associate General Counsel of The Vitamin Shop, who handles employee relations issues as part of her role, as well as being the host of The Legal Lotus Podcast, which is a podcast for lawyers when wine isn't enough. Hey, Renata. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So in 2021 into 2022, we've been hearing a lot about the Great Resignation and well over 4 million people who in a very short time left their jobs. Certain industries we've been hearing have been hit harder than others. Retail, for example, has been one of the hardest hit, restaurants and food service, among others. And there's no shortage of anecdotal stories of businesses being crippled by talent shortages, like, for example, restaurants operating at reduced capacity, plenty of open tables, unable to see customers because they don't have the kitchen staff or the wait staff or both to handle it. And managers and owners working 18-hour days, seven days a week for months on end to make sure the dishes get washed and the floors get swept and their businesses can survive. We've heard a lot of stories about retailers juggling schedules and running their businesses on skeleton crews. And my personal favorite, we've heard a lot from theme park operators who at some point began alternating which rides they would run because they didn't have enough employees to fill all of them at any given time. So during the same time, hourly rates have skyrocketed and we've seen a lot of employers paying well over minimum wage for a lot of positions that a couple of years before would have been at about that rate. And employers have been trying anything and everything to attract and compete for talent. So in this environment, we've seen a lot of incentives for employers to look the other way about policy violations or infractions with employees because they really can't afford to lose the people they have. They can't afford for these folks to quit and they can't afford to fire them because they'll have no one to run their business. Renata, in your experience, how have you seen this play out in the business world? Absolutely. I think there's definitely been a shift in mindset among employees. This pandemic kind of created the perfect storm. Employees began to reevaluate what's important to them. Barriers regarding location and market salary were removed. And states like New York are moving toward pay transparency. And so I think in order for companies to meet candidates where they are, we have to recognize that and make the changes necessary to do so. We've certainly seen our fair share of staffing shortages, not only due to resignations, but there's also a constant rotation of COVID-related leaves, whether employees sick themselves or caring for someone that was impacted one way or another. Even though we have a full roster of people on the books, they're not all showing up for work. So we had to evaluate whether or not we wanted to bring in temps or hire new people to cover those roles. And it's been difficult because we want to get people in the door that are passionate about our business and believe in the company's mission to help customers become their best selves, however they define it. So as a result, we have to create an environment where new hires want to stay and our old employees want to stay as well. And that's kind of a double-edged sword. To maintain that environment, we have to you know, take allegations that go against company policy seriously and take action when warranted. So we haven't shied away from employee discipline for the sake of keeping people if they're not performing. 
Interesting take on that. One of the things that we found as well is that there's been differences within certain regions or within certain segments of the business. Have you found that to be the case or different regions being impacted in a different capacity than say some other places in the country? No, I don't I don't think it's unique to retail. I think competition is fierce for top talent across the country in most industries. Really going back to that barrier being removed with regard to location and market salary. You can work from anywhere and make your desired income at this point. So in my practice, I defend a lot of employers against a variety of different employment claims. For example, discrimination, retaliation, and harassment claims under a variety of federal and state laws. You know, one of the things that strikes me in a lot of these cases is that we have a lot of plaintiffs who, in their initial allegations, will say that there was some illicit conduct that happened, some discriminatory or retaliatory conduct. And inevitably, in a lot of the complaints that we see, they plead that I was an exemplary employee. I did nothing wrong. I was always, you know, A plus number one. And this bad thing happened, and therefore it must be because of some discriminatory or retaliatory motive. And it's interesting because a lot of times I'll speak with the employer when something like this is coming in, and I'll hear a very different story. A lot of times I hear a story of, yeah, well, this employee was habitually late. Other employees complained about this person that they didn't want to work with them anymore because of certain behavioral issues. A manager might say this person was extremely difficult to work with, and we just had it. We couldn't really run our business with this person part of our team. And I'll tell you, I approach these conversations with a pretty healthy level of skepticism because maybe what the plaintiff is saying is true. And now I'm hearing a different story because the managers are putting on an act. So I'm always looking for, you know, is there something going on that I'm not seeing? Do I have any blind spots here? And it's interesting because sometimes in talking about it further, I start seeing that the other employees that are working for the same manager or in the same department or in the same unit, they get along great. There doesn't seem to be any systematic issue. They're all productive. They work very well together. And I challenge, you know, the manager who initially told me this story and I say, well, if you were having these issues, why aren't they documented? Where's the paperwork? Where's the write-ups? And I say, what are you telling me? And how do I prove it? And they oftentimes will say, well, I'm spread thin. You know, I have a lot of pressure here. The business has to run. I can't stop every five minutes to be doing this. Or a lot of times and more often is the case, they say, I can't lose this person. Maybe they're always late, but I need to run a business and I need all hands on deck. I can't afford to risk this person. So from your perspective or not, and sort of more generally seeing how these types of issues play out within the day-to-day business, what do you see from managers letting things go or, or certain behavioral issues kind of getting, I don't want to say ignored or or anything, but looking the other way just to keep the business afloat? I don't think it's as much as managers letting things go as it is purely a lack of documentation. They have the conversation with the employee and they put the onus on them to change their behavior. But then sometimes that doesn't happen. And so we have this vicious cycle of it continuing to happen until it gets to the point where they want to separate. And then we're starting at ground zero. You also mentioned an interesting point earlier about harassment. I've seen instances where I'll get a complaint of harassment. But once we complete the investigation, we learn that the person received performance management from their supervisor. And it continues to happen when the performance doesn't improve. That manager, you know, is managing. But when the process doesn't appear to be happening with other coworkers, a narrative begins and they believe that they're being picked on and they use the word harass quite often. And I don't think that managers want to be associated with that narrative. So I see where you're coming from with the type of narrative of, you know, harassment and, and managers trying to shy away from that. 
I almost want to say there's a potential morale issue one way or the other. If there's an impression that one person is getting away with something that they're not supposed to, there may be a morale issue with other employees looking at that and saying, well, why is this person getting away with it? Or the flip side, you have a manager who's trying to keep everybody to the same standard and maybe there's a morale issue there. Are you seeing that there's a lot of these other types of considerations that maybe aren't so obvious when employers and and managers are making these types of decisions? I think it can be easy for an employer to overlook a violation when it comes to a high performer, but that's a dangerous space to be in. Your decision doesn't just impact that person. It impacts the entire team, right? So it impacts the team's morale, the energy, and their dedication to do the work. So we want to impress upon all of our managers to treat everyone the same when it comes to policy violations, regardless of whether they're a high performer or a low performer. In addition to write-ups, let's talk about another aspect of this, which is performance evaluations. You know, building on my earlier example, as I said, in a lot of cases that I see coming across my desk, I see a lot of plaintiffs and a lot of employees in these situations alleging that, you know, they never did anything wrong. They were the exemplary employee. They were the model citizen, never did anything wrong, never disciplined. And at some point, their performance evaluations come into play and we look at them and a lot of times the performance evaluations themselves tell an interesting story where there really isn't a lot of negative feedback on them. And, you know, in my experience, I've seen managers come back and say, well, you know, we didn't really want to undercut the employee's progress. They were doing great and we didn't want to be too negative to torpedo those strides that they were making. Or they might say we want to frame in a positive way to build the employee up. And what I think happens is also factoring in the fact that managers a lot of times are just people. It's not easy giving bad news. It's not easy looking somebody in the eye or writing down on a paper something negative because they don't really want to hurt anybody else's feelings or jeopardize a relationship with that person. And this really could create a costly problem, both in the litigation context and perhaps in the day to day. Employees that are not being given the right feedback might not address certain deficiencies that are apparent or the business might suffer because they're not performing at a level that they could be if they had more accurate performance. And I got to tell you, I I almost think of Brene Brown at this point and, and think to myself, you know, clear is kind. Wouldn't you think that having a performance evaluation or performance feedback, it doesn't have to be mean, but as clear as the deficiencies would go a long way to explaining that type of narrative and background that the managers are are looking to do? Absolutely. And I've actually seen the flip side of that. So I've seen where Employees go throughout the year, they think they're doing fine, and then they get their performance evaluation and there's a laundry list of things that they've been doing wrong. So I think it's important to identify opportunities for growth and offer coaching on an ongoing basis. This way, nobody feels blindsided and it keeps the lines of communication open in both directions. You must have some really nice clients because my clients have no problem with letting people know when they need to step it up. I do feel lucky in that, that I do have a lot of clients who I will say there are many instances where employers and managers try to be very genteel, very kind and very humane to employees. And, you know, I hate to say it, but in certain contexts like litigation, it almost seems to backfire sometimes. So it's an interesting balance to have to walk, especially in, in these days with the great resignation, talent shortages and the like. Renata, let's talk about a different perhaps issue. What are your thoughts on this phenomenon that we see every so often where an employee is working really hard, they're really trying, but they're still underperforming compared to the rest of the team? 
But at the same time, they represent a segment of a demographic that creates diversity in the workplace for perhaps either companies or employers that struggle with these types of issues. And the company does not want to lose that employee. So there's a decision at some point made at the management level to go easy on the employee or pull back on some of the constructive feedback out of a fear that if the candidate was evaluated honestly, the employee might quit. What do you think about that? Is that a phenomenon? I can't say that I've encountered that situation. I mean, honestly, everyone in this situation is being done a disservice. How can you expect an employee to grow an environment where they're not getting meaningful feedback and their peers view them as someone that's underperforming? They may not quit because they're underperforming. They may quit because they don't feel valued and they don't feel a part of the team. I couldn't agree with you more from a legal standpoint and looking at the situation as an outsider, not to say second guessing what management is doing, but looking at it with a fresh set of eyes. I think you're absolutely right that there is a tremendous disservice paid to all stakeholders. But the thing that strikes me is that in these types of situations, what I've seen is employers, or I should really say managers on an immediate day-to-day level, sort of like what's the short-term thing that you want to accomplish versus the long-term. In the short-term, they might just be looking to retain the employee and say, well, I'll go easy on them because we really need this person here. We really need this person to be working here and we can't afford to lose them. In these types of situations, there doesn't really seem to be any winners. And maybe this is industry specific in in certain industries that are dominated by certain demographics that are trying to change that. But I think you're right. I think everybody is harmed in this situation. But at the same time, I kind of go back to the Brene Brown quote of clearest kind. There's no upside to this kind of tactic, even though there does seem to be a fleeting short term gain. Absolutely. And I think that the manager here will be operating from a place of optics as opposed to finding the best candidate for the role. Right. So you want to have a diverse candidate and that's great, but you want to make sure that that diverse candidate is the best candidate for the role as well, because there are high performing diverse candidates. And if you have someone that's in a room but doesn't necessarily have a voice because you don't think that they can perform the role, it's not helping anyone. It's not helping anyone, but how would you handle that on a day to day? You know, and let's say a manager comes to you and says, I have this person. They're not great. I don't know how to handle this in a way that's going to not seem extremely negative. What advice would you kind of impart in that type of situation? I think you would handle it with any other underperforming employee, right? I recognize that you're trying your best, but you're really just not performing the role in the way with that we need you to. And you either develop them you invest in them, you coach them, and you try to retain them, or you move on to a candidate that can do the job. It's been great speaking with you today. Really appreciate the perspective that you have from your side of this equation. You're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you back. Thanks so much for your comments. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you again soon. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of SciFar's Point 2 LNE Nation podcast. 